Hello everyone, Dr. Julie here, and you are listening to my Coffee Chats podcast. I am a health researcher, PhD trained, and chef self-trained, on a mission to leave the next generation and our planet a lot more of a healthier place. This is your space to ask questions on topics that no one seems to want to discuss, with information that is backed by research, along with a good dose of practical advice. Real talk, real people, real answers. This podcast is proudly sponsored for 2024 by Momojo. Momojo is a local New Zealand company that produces award-winning kefir. Real kefir, not yogurt, which is going to help to keep your gut so nice and happy. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back, peeps. Hope you have all had a wonderful week. I have three great caller questions for you. You guys know how much I love your questions. So we are going to be chatting about bliss points, the grain industry, and foods or do's and don'ts when it comes to toilet training. So let's crack into it. First question, Julie, you have mentioned bliss points a couple of times on your podcast and socials. Could you just explain that a little bit further? (laughs) I'm going to give you the short version of this. I am currently working on my next book, which is all about sugar. In fact, its title is called Sugar Scope, putting sugar under the microscope. And Apologies, you are going to have to wait for at least a year for this one. But bliss points, what I'm actually going to do, because I explain it so well in my sugar guide, I'm just going to read you that extract. But where this is important is actually understanding what food does to us and particularly how packaged food or pre-prepared food has been made. And I share a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of how my food is created inside a commercial kitchen. And what I will say is not all food that you eat or that you buy from a supermarket is made in the same hands-on way or created in that same way. A lot of food, and this was done before we really got underneath, (laughs) underneath the microscope of how food is produced and what food companies get away with, but a lot of food is actually not even created in a kitchen. It's created in a lab and it's created with a mathematical formula and that's what a bliss point is, but I want to give you just a little bit more of the, the science and the research too. So let me just read this out because I did such a good job of writing it and I think you'll find it really interesting. My sugar reduction guide is just $15 on my website and it's got some wonderful recipes in there too. So dopamine and bliss points. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It's made in your brain and plays the role of a chemical messenger, communicating messages between nerve cells in your brain and the rest of your body. Dopamine also has a hormone function and it works in the fight or flight response. Now, dopamine is part of your reward system, hence the general term of it being a feel-good hormone. This system is designed from an evolutionary perspective to reward you when you are doing the things that you need to do to survive, eat, drink, compete and reproduce. So as humans, our brains are hardwired to seek out behaviors that release dopamine in our reward system. When you are doing something pleasurable, your brain releases a large amount of dopamine. You feel good and so you seek out more of that feeling. Foods high in sugar, sodium, fat and additives stimulate the release of a large amount of dopamine. This is what gives a rush of reward and a high. 
And you want to repeat that experience and over time you need more and more of these nutrients to experience that same reward. This is also why you crave that feeling after time as well. So you are not crazy. Your body is literally craving this and companies do play on this because there's a term in food manufacturing, which is exactly what you said, called a bliss point. So this is the amount or the combination of certain ingredients, namely sugar, salt and fat, which optimizes tastiness and the release of dopamine or that sense of reward and pleasure. It's also why you associate foods with feeling happy and causes your brain to tell you that when you eat these, whenever you are stressed or in need of comfort. And look, it can take time to learn to adjust to a different reward experience when you've been conditioned to this. And for some of you listening, you've been conditioned to this since you were babies. And it's why I am so driven and so passionate to not start babies and toddlers off on this train because I know I'm preaching to the converted here. Turning it around after like 30 years or 40 years, especially when you've been conditioned in those first precious thousand days, it's not impossible. Nothing is ever impossible. But like we want something better for the next generation. We want something better for us. I can't change the entire food system, but I'm doing my utmost to at least provide you with a different solution. Because for food companies to play on this is so wrong. So wrong. And you guys know how much you have to battle. You are literally battling one of the most powerful systems that we have. This system of dopamine is designed to keep you alive. So fighting that and fighting that pleasure and reward sense, it is really hard. And that's why I will keep pushing that message of we need to keep sugar as low as possible or at least be working to reduce it. And like when people talk about moderation and things, if you haven't listened to my episode on like restriction and, and satisfaction and enjoyment, I, I would recommend that you do because you can work towards it. Now, you also don't want to go cold turkey because going cold turkey is going to get a very knee-jerk reaction with this at some point. If not, uh, within a couple of days, it, it will definitely. Okay, so reducing it down is, is going to be a way to not only create sustainable habits, but to also give your brain a chance to slowly adapt to a decreased amount of dopamine response from, from these foods. I have so much more I want to talk about this, and that's why I'm, I'm working on a book on it. Uh, but that's just going to give you a little bit of science. And as I said, like, read the backs of labels. Read the backs of labels as, as a starting point. I actually talk about in that sugar guide too, like the 50, more than 50 different names for sugar when you're actually looking at the backs of labels. So it'd be a good place to start. This brings us nicely to our second caller question, <laughs> which is food industry related. You know, why is there so much debate on grains? 
Another big sigh for me. You always know it's going to be a good renty answer when I sigh at the beginning. Do you guys remember the old school food pyramid that we were all brought up with? Now, that was not produced by public health researchers. That was produced by the grain industry in the United States in order to sell their grains. So politics and money and the food industry, it is all embedded. So that like grains eat most at the bottom of the food pyramid, to repeat, was because of the grain industry. But like it just... To me, it's still mind-blowing that something that we were taught as health or the basis of health or the basis of our nutrition had nothing to do with actual health and well-being. And it had everything to do with a major industry player pushing their product. I mean, corruption 101. So why is there so much debate on grains, however? That's because grains are a food group where the level of processing can range from not a lot to a huge amount and therefore trying to classify is something good or bad becomes very challenging because we can't just go all grains are bad. They don't have their place. They do. They're a very important part of our food industry, but we need to understand how each particular grain has been grown and how it's been processed, and what nutrients we get from it, and how it feels in our body, and the response on our insulin metabolism, before we decide whether it's actually something we want to be eating, or consuming, or a major part of our diet. We're like, oh my gosh, girls, there is so many grains. How do we do that with all of them? I know. So I've also done a blog on grains and what is a grain on my website, so you might find that really helpful. But that's why there's so much debate on grains. Do we need them? No, we don't. We can get the nutrients that we get from grains from other food sources, in particular vegetables. But it's not as simple as that, right? Because when we're comparing grains and vegetables, one is a lot more practical and that's grains. One is a lot more cost effective, and that's grains. And one also may provide different nutrients for different populations. So for example, a lot of our whole grains provides a very important source of fiber and iron for particular populations that may be struggling with vegetables for whatever reason. And this does include toddlers as well. So We don't want to put grains into a completely bad camp label, but we do want to understand all of those variables that I mentioned. I still strongly recommend that we don't want to start our babies off on grains, and that's because they don't have the enzyme to break down the starch in grains until they are closer to 10 to 12 months. And from a practical food perspective, they are going to struggle with grains and all populations are going to struggle with having alternative sources to grains because of how embedded in our food industry grains are and because of their practical and cost-effective reasons. So I'm not going to be able to step you through all of the grains and sort of kind of say, well, you get this amount of nutrients from them or these are the considerations with them. As a general rule of thumb, 
the more whole grain, the better, because that's going to have the least amount of processing and therefore the more nutrients that you're going to obtain from them. But I would still encourage you to look at what I would call your core foods and the ongoing repeated exposure to them and to still check in with how they feel and what they do. So for example, oats, which have often had a healthy like tick next to them, for someone with a very high level of insulin resistance, so factors that can contribute to high levels of insulin resistance, pregnancy is one, definitely anyone with gestational diabetes, hormone conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I have, or extreme levels of sleep deprivation or stress. What we see from research where we were looking at the release of carbohydrate from oats, for someone with a fairly stable metabolism and not a high level of insulin resistance, oats keep their blood sugars relatively stable. For someone with a high level of insulin resistance, potentially fitting into some of what I described earlier, what we see from a research perspective is that oats can shoot up blood sugars in a similar fashion to our simple sugars. That in itself might be mind-blowing to you. So I know for me that my preference when it comes to grains is having is having oats, but I wouldn't have a high volume of them and I would still be careful where I use them. And I mentioned snack logs in an earlier podcast, which have oats, so a much better grain but I would, I would still ideally just use that post-training where I'm needing a, a sharper release of sugar and carbohydrate as opposed to an everyday snack for that reason exactly. And when you're looking at how grains have an impact on you, look at the amount of time from when you eat them to when you get hungry, and that's going to give you an indicator of how fast they're moving through your uh, digestive tract. I could keep going, <laughs> but I hope that's given you just a little bit of a like insight into, yet again, the food industry and why there is so much debate around grains. Okay, third caller question. Oh, I thought this was quite interesting. It was actually, hey Jules, you have toilet trained three boys now. Are there any do's or don'ts or any foods in particular that you would or would not recommend? I'm finding my toddler is quite constipated as we are trying to toilet train him. Like so many aspects of parenting, toilet training is not an easy process. It's not something that we generally get, you know, overjoyed about because we know it's going to be messy. We know we're going to be dealing with accidents. And for anyone listening that hasn't toilet trained a child, it can be a very daunting process. What I would definitely suggest is if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling like you're just not sure if what you're doing is right or wrong, there are actually some great toilet training coaches out there. And I even used one with Arjun when I got a little bit stuck because that's what I recommend parents do. You know, I had never toilet trained a child before and he's my highly sensitive child. He's Mr. Independent. And in fact, some of you may remember when I was toilet training him, we had a, (laughs) this kind of goes down in my like parenting book incident memories was that we were in a house where there was only like a window in the in the bathroom and it was very high up off the ground and it had a door with one of those sort of like sliding bolts and Arjun was getting really frustrated with his with his toilet training and 
he actually slammed the door and like slammed it on me and what it did was it bolted the door across and I was on my own with him and so effectively he was locked in the bathroom and I had that like oh my gosh how am I going to get my child out and I was trying to guide him to actually like unlock the door and he got more frustrated and more worked up and then I must have had my hairdryer plugged in and he turned the hairdryer on and at that point I really started to panic because I was like I've got a three-year-old locked in a bathroom there's like water as in like a basin right there and a bath right there and now the hairdryer is on and I had to make like a quick split decision on what to do and I actually called the fire service and they came really fast and they said it was the right thing to do and they were so good and they they calmed me down and they didn't just like like bolt the door down because that could have caused a lot of damage so they actually got uh, a guy like up on a ladder on the window and was like assessing and could see and was talking to Arjun. And then they actually unbolted the door and, and let him out. And uh, the lock did not go back on the, to- <laughs> the bathroom door. And I just remember feeling like the worst parent on the planet. And so that, that goes down in our memory books of toilet training, if that makes you feel any better. So do seek out uh, some great coaches that there are in there. They're going to provide you with, like they've got the experience and they will give you that support. And the things that I learned with Arjun, I was easily able to apply with my other two sons. And definitely what I will say too is that having brothers is phenomenal because they just love teaching the younger brother exactly what to do. I pretty much almost didn't toilet train number two and number three because the older brothers did. So, so definitely do that. And you will find that, uh, just as another tip, most toilet training coaches don't recommend pull-ups at all because what it does is it doesn't give the child that sensation that they've, that they've gone. It's like so many aspects of parenting, like we actually need to allow our kids, I mean, effectively to, to fail. I don't like using the word fail in, in that regard, but to, to actually experience what it feels like. And that's, that's going to speed up the learning process. So yeah, I think I've even got a blog on my website, very um, one from the early days on on not using pull-ups. Now in terms of food, it's definitely a big one. And my only other little bit of advice, because this relates to food, is I like would really encourage that you don't feel pressure to do the toilet training until you are ready and your child is ready. So again rise of social media double-edged sword you know sometimes we can feel a lot of pressure of oh my child's this age we should be doing toilet training look if your child is not ready there's no rush there is no rush and you're better to wait until they are ready because when we try and and I'm not saying in your case that that you're forcing them but when we try and do it before they are ready it's not going to work for either party and when I say you being ready I know with Arjun, I waited until after my PhD and after I had submitted my PhD. There's no point in trying to put that pressure on. So he would have been over three, um, close to three and a half before we did that. And like having gone through that and made some mistakes with him, I was so, so glad that I I waited with that. Uh, And that includes at night as well. Uh, Arjun actually started school and when he started school, he was still wearing a night nappy because up until that point, uh, he was still going in his night 
nappy. And I was like, well, there's no point in taking the nappy off him. He's asleep. He's not going to have any feeling. And it would have been a couple of months after we started school and he started having dry nappies at night. And then we just asked, you know, hey, are you ready to, to try undies at night? He never had a single accident after that. All I said to myself was, imagine if I had forced that or gone, you're going to be starting school, which is a very stressful time for a child. You need to be doing this. We just did it when he was ready. When you do a cross-country race, there's no like, oh, well, you were toilet trained at this stage. No different to breastfeeding. Oh, well, you were a breastfeed child and you were a formula feed. None of that. So do it when you're ready. And you may find that toddlers who are struggling or who aren't ready, they will try and hold on and that can be related to constipation. But I'd be really careful uh, kind of trying to make a big deal of food as well as toilet training at the same time. Laxatives, I'm really against the use of unless we absolutely have to. So I've got some great blogs on constipation on my website, but I definitely would avoid that. And all that's going to do is put your toilet training back. Now, if you are struggling with toilet training or with constipation or diarrhea with an older child, that's definitely something I can help with in a one-on-one. Definitely a common area that I see or that parents come to me for. In terms of constipation, I talk about your ABCs, and that's actually apples, bananas, and cereals, which are your highly constipating food, and that's for babies as well as toddlers. So we probably just want to be a little bit careful of those. And anything that's high in fiber, which includes our chia seeds and flax seeds, which I've got purposely and specifically in a lot of my Dr. Julie's Kitchen products, are really helpful, and they're a source of fiber that's often quite easy for, for toddlers. And just to repeat, if you are struggling, particularly with the food side, that's definitely something that I can help with in a one-on-one and you're not meant to try and do it on your own. Great questions, peeps. So just to summarize, bliss points uh, and the food industry. It's a mathematical equation for the optimal amount of salt, sugar and sodium to create that dopamine release and play on that pleasure and reward sense in the brain more coming in my future book on this. Why is there so much debate on grains? Also, food industry, how it's related, but because grains are a food group where there is a wide variety of processing involved, we can't just put them into a camp of good or bad. Understanding how they are processed, what they do to our bodies is really important. Toilet training, do's and don'ts, definitely recommend getting some advice, whether that's from me in terms of the food side or toilet training coach in terms of the practical side or both. Uh, I, I have a great referral with a toilet training coach. So yeah, drop me a message or a DM if, if you're not sure about that or, you, or you're wanting uh, some direction there. And in terms of food, try and not make a huge focus on big changes with food while undergoing toilet training. Think about your ABCs with constipation and uh, take your time. There is no rush. Take your time. Have a wonderful week, peeps, and I'm going to see you same time, same place next week. I just want to do a big shout out to our amazing 2024 sponsor, Momojo Kefir is an award-winning, tasty and highly nutritious probiotic kefir. It has over 100 billion live cultures and four delicious flavors, natural, 
which is my favourite, mango, vanilla and strawberry. Looking after and protecting our precious gut health is at the core of my nutrition principles. And this kefir is just incredible for doing exactly that. The best time to take action for you and your well-being is today. Check them out at most of our major supermarkets and health food stores. And remember, you count and you are worth it.